And now, coming to you from the classiest radio station on the air, this is... Evie right back with Midweek Musings. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Midweek Musings. My name is Evie Breitbach, your host, and usually this is a podcast about controversial topics and questions that are unanswerable without some research, but you're listening to a brand new miniseries similar to the one that I did in October, but we are in another holiday season, and therefore I present to you the first episode of Merry Musings. This is going to be just a short little two-episode series that will take us through the end of season two, and each week I will be discussing holiday-themed topics. So last episode on In the Ordinary Time, (laughs) if you will, we dove into the question of Is Water Wet? And today, this new series is going to take a bit of a 180 with the first holiday episode being about how certain holiday traditions came to be. So folks, make yourself a cup of hot cocoa, curl up in a blanket, and get ready to bask in the holiday cheer. (sighs) Remember the scary character I accidentally took on during October? Well, I guess we'll see if I come out as a different character. We'll see. It'll, It'll reveal itself as I'm recording this. And also, hopefully the audio stays okay, because I noticed... When I set up my microphone, it was way too high, and then I, like, because I was slouching, obviously, so, like, as I go on, my voice gets farther and farther away from the mic because I slouch down lower and lower, but today, I set up the microphone when I was already slouching, so we'll see if it's louder. Anyways, let's just get into it. So, Christmas, for those who are unaware, is the time of year that a lot of people around the world come together to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, there's a lot more reasons for the season, per se, which we will get into in a later episode, but that's the bare bones of the holiday. And of course, around the world, Christmas is celebrated in different ways. But before I go too much farther, I just want to preface this by saying that I am aware that there are many, many more religious and non-religious holidays around this time of year that often go unnoticed by the general population. And I'm just sorry for any part that I'm playing in that. Since most of my listeners and myself do celebrate Christmas, that's the one I'm going to be focusing on, but that's not to say that I don't care about or think less of any other holiday. I want to first start off with a few international Christmas traditions, just because we know our own so well, so why not broaden the horizons, you know? So first off, the Yule Goat has been a Christmas tradition in Sweden that dates back to ancient pagan festivals. In 1966, the tradition got a whole new life after someone came up with the idea to make a giant straw goat. And according to the official website, the goat is more than 42 feet high, 23 feet wide, and weighs 3.6 tons. Each year, the massive goat is constructed in the same spot, and fans can even watch a live stream from the first Sunday of Advent until um, after New Year's when it's taken down. And then in Iceland, similar to the 12 days of Christmas, they celebrate 13. Each night before Christmas, Icelandic children are visited by the 13 Yule lads. After placing their shoes by the window, the little ones will head upstairs to bed, and in the morning they will either have received candy if they're good, or be greeted with shoes full of rotten potatoes if they're bad. And that's that's not even on Christmas, so they get 13 days of candy if they're good, or 13 days of potatoes if they're bad, which makes me wonder that if they're good, 
good for one day and bad for the next? Does it vary? Or are you stuck with potatoes for 13 days? On Christmas morning, Finnish families traditionally eat a porridge made of rice and milk topped with cinnamon, milk, or butter. Whoever finds the almond placed inside one of the puddings wins, and at the end of the day, it's customary to warm up in a sauna together. The Irish leave a tall red candle in front of a window overnight, a welcoming symbol of warmth and shelter for the holiday season. And traditional Christmas food in Ireland often includes homemade roast goose, vegetables, cranberries, and potatoes. In Barbados, the Christmas dinner table isn't complete without a ham decorated with pineapple and sole glazes, a rum cake, and jug jug, which is a dish inspired by the Scottish influence on the island combining pigeon peas, guinea flour corn, or so oh my god, guinea corn flour, herbs, and salt meat. No way did I just so confidently say guinea flour corn. <laughs> in Mexico, all across the country, members of the Mexican church put on shepherd's plays to retell the Christmas story. The Mexican Christmas season begins early in December with Las Posadas, a religious march that reenacts the journey of Mary and Joseph. The vibrant red poinsettia flowers are also used in holiday arrangements for decoration throughout the country. So interesting that all these different places have such vastly different traditions, but honestly, a lot of them do seem to be rooted in some very similar things, like somebody coming in the night to put things in your things, <laughs> like shoes and stockings, for example, or like having a very elaborate dinner or having poinsettia flowers. You get the picture. Now I want to take a deep dive into the many into many of the traditions that we have participated in year after year in America and where do they come from? What is their significance and why do we continue to celebrate them? So to start, let's look at a typical Christmas dinner. According to my research in my personal life and on online, a typical American dinner consists of turkey or ham, mashed potatoes, stuffing, and a roasted root vegetable. The basic Christmas dinner is British in origin. In the South, an area that has a very high concentration of people from the UK from centuries past, Christmas is the time of year in which many variations on a country ham or Christmas ham get served. So, it's British. There's really not a whole lot else to that, and honestly, when I was writing that, I thought it was going to be more interesting, but I'm going to include it because why not? To be honest, I could have I could have guessed that that was British in origin. In that same vein, I was curious about why we always make cookies around Christmas, so much so that when we say Christmas cookies, we all have a very specific image that comes to mind. That comes from Germany. The German term Plätzchen refers specifically to cookies and more broadly to holiday treats and encompasses the origin of Christmas baking. The tradition goes back to the monasteries of the Middle Ages, where monks had access to the sugar and spices we now associate with Christmas cookies. Cinnamon, cloves, ginger, and cardamom. So they, the original Christmas cookies came from German monks, basically. But it was the Dutch that actually brought the first Christmas cookies to the New World in the 1600s. 400 years later, we live in a country that can't imagine Christmas without cookies. Let's continue with this food theme, shall we? Gingerbread houses are up next. Gingerbread houses originated in Germany during the 16th century, which is the 1500s, for those of you who don't do that math in your head. <laughs> the elaborate cookie-walled houses, decorated with foil in addition to gold leaf, 
became associated with Christmas tradition, and their popularity rose when the Brothers Grimm wrote the story of Hansel and Gretel, in which the main characters stumble upon a house made entirely of treats deep in the forest. And it's actually unclear whether or not the gingerbread houses were a result of the popular fairy tale, or if the popular fairy tale incorporated gingerbread houses after they'd already been invented. But here's some interesting gingerbread facts for you. Recently, the record for the world's largest gingerbread house was broken. The previous record was set by the Mall of America in 2006, and the new winning gingerbread house spans nearly 40,000 cubic feet, was erected at Traditions Golf Club in Bryan, Texas. The house required a building permit and was built much like a traditional house. 4,000 gingerbread bricks were used during its construction. To put that in perspective, a recipe for a house this size would include 1,800 pounds of butter and 1,080 ounces of ginger. (laughs) I can't even picture what that would look like, so I'm about to go look up a picture of this afterwards. Because as I was writing it, I was in the zone and I didn't care. (laughs) So that's all the food traditions that I thought of slash cared about. But there's more, obviously, than that. Like, for one, the Christmas pickle. I still don't know what that is, but my friend Emma is always talking about their Christmas pickle. So I'm going to Google it right now because I wanted to have a live reaction of what the Christmas pickle is. (laughs) So I just am going on countryliving.com. Pickle ornaments on a Christmas tree hold special meaning, believe it or not. So apparently the Christmas pickle has its roots in Germany, as apparently most Christmas things do. It's usually most popular in the Midwest now, though where a large number of German immigrants settled. Hmm, interesting. Okay, so apparently there's multiple different things that it could be, like legends, because no one really knows the truth. In one tale, a villainous innkeeper trapped two boys in a pickle barrel, and then St. Nicholas set them free. Others say a Civil War soldier and German immigrant was held captive in Georgia and begged for a pickle, which ended up sustaining him. And a third theory suggests that maybe it was just a marketing scheme. In the 1840s, German glassblowers made ornaments shaped like fruits and nuts, so pickles might have been a possibility. I don't really know what people do with them now. Oh, wait. Oh. I think you're supposed to find it. I think you hide it on the tree and then somebody has to find it. Yeah, okay. Well, that's cool, I guess. I've never participated in it, but I've also never participated in Elf on the Shelf, which I'm not going to get into um, today because I don't really care about it. But everyone's always talking about Elf on the Shelf, and... I guess I just feel left out. I don't know. Okay, we got very off topic with the Christmas pickle thing, but let's get on to the next tradition, which is giving gifts. And why do we do it? What does that have to do with Jesus being born? (laughs) And as I'm saying that out loud, I can very clearly see what it has to do with Jesus being born. So I'm stupid, but whatever. The research that I did was unnecessary because it just confirms what I was thinking. According to several websites, We give gifts to symbolize the wise men bestowing their gifts upon the baby Jesus. And some say that since we cannot give Jesus a birthday gift, we give gifts to each other to show our love for him. And I feel like along the line, somebody realized that presents are just lit. So we need to continue giving them to each other. And then next, how about one of the most basic symbols of Christmas? The Christmas tree itself. I have a feeling that this one dates back to a very long time ago. And my research did confirm that. There's actually a lot of lore surrounding how the Christmas tree involved is such a strong symbol. One of the legends, you could say, is that Martin Luther, who was 
basically in charge of the Protestant Reformation, believed that pine trees were a symbol of the goodness of God. I'm not sure if there's any actual research to back that up. There's also several pagan myths, if you can believe it. Um, But in reality, the real origins of the Christmas tree appear to be rooted... See what I did there? In present-day Germany during the Middle Ages. In 1419, a guild in who put up a tree decorated with apples, flour, paste, wafers, tinsel, and gingerbread. In quote-unquote paradise plays that were performed to celebrate the feast day of Adam and Eve, which fell on Christmas Eve, a tree of knowledge was represented by an evergreen fir with apples tied to its branches. Hence the apples in Adam and Eve. From here, the Christmas tree grew in popularity until people started opening Christmas tree markets in Germany because they were in such high demand. In the United States, however, the Christmas tree wasn't super popular right away. Sure, there are references to them in historical documents dating almost back to the beginning of our country. But it wasn't until a specific image of Queen Victoria and Prince Albert and their children gathered around a Christmas tree, circulated in print in 1848, that the tradition really took hold. Prince Albert was German, by the way, which is where the trees came from, so it all kind of makes sense. Once the picture of Victoria and Albert had circulated in magazines in the U.S., America took hold of the Christmas tree and made it our own. And that was by putting giant trees in public spaces. That idea is courtesy of the red, white, and blue, baby. For example, the iconic 20-foot-tall Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. This first went up in 1931, when the building was still under construction. So many people were unemployed during the Great Depression, and the tree was meant to be a symbol of hope. To continue on, I know we already talked about cookies and food, but why do we put cookies out for Santa? Surely there is a more healthy snack that we could leave for the big guy, or even no snack at all. Like, where did this come from? This tradition originated with the Dutch, who would leave cookies out for travelers during the Feast of St. Nicholas, but it evolved during the Great Depression in the United States as a teachable lesson. Families in the Depression obviously didn't have very much money or baking supplies, so if they had enough baking supplies to make a small batch of cookies for Santa, they would leave them out. This was also to teach the youngins to be thankful and charitable for what they had, and the tradition stuck so much that it's still observed in today's time. And honestly, that is so sad. Like, you have no money, no food, but you do make cookies for Santa. Not for you, for Santa. You make cookies with all you have left, and then you don't even get to eat them. I mean, I see what they're doing, teaching the lesson and stuff, but God, that's depressing. I see why it's called the Great Depression. As a side note, the milk that usually accompanies the cookies came years later when people realized they were choking Santa out with their dry cookies, and he needed a drink. There's no, like, actual evolution of when milk became an addition with the cookies. That's what, that's what the research said that people realized Santa needed a drink. It's like, okay, why milk? Why pick the one thing that if it sits out all night, it becomes undrinkable? <laughs> it's fine. I, I get it. I get the whole milk and cookies thing. Fun fact, I almost called this this miniseries Midweek Milk and Cookies. That does not have the same ring as Mary Musings, but here we are. So going along with Santa traditions, when did people start to leave their stockings out for Santa over the fire? Because that seems like a fire hazard to me. And also, I don't know if you've ever seen the claymation Christmas special called Santa Claus is Coming to Town, but 
If you have, you'd know that the kids leave their stockings out over the fire because Kris Kringle has to climb down people's chimneys to deliver them toys after the Burger Meister Meister Burger starts a toy prohibition. And as I'm saying it out loud, that sounds like the most convoluted plot to a Christmas children's movie that I've ever seen. That movie is kind of creepy if you think about it. Climbs into their house. Before, it was widely acceptable for a man to climb down your chimney, because obviously now it is. (laughs) And then he also sings a whole song about how if you sit on his lap and give him a kiss, he'll give you a toy. I'm just not even going to elaborate on that. But for realsies, why did we start the whole stocking thing? Christmas stockings were mentioned as an established American tradition as early as 1823 in a poem called A Visit from St. Nicholas. When I read that, I said, hmm, I've never read this poem. Let me go read it. And it turns out it's the same as Twas the Night Before Christmas. It's just a different name. So basically, one of the first times stockings were mentioned in literature was in Twas the Night Before Christmas. So that makes me that makes me wonder if they, the person who wrote that poem, like, invented the idea of stockings because it sounded good or was it actually a thing and just was undocumented until he wrote it down one popular legend that attempts to tell the history of the christmas tradition of stockings has several variations but here is a good example saint nicholas was staying with a poor family and heard that the father was planning to sell his three daughters into a bad lifestyle per se to save them from starvation saint nicholas wanted to help but knew that the old man wouldn't accept charity, so he decided to help in secret. When he left the house after dark, he threw three bags of gold through an open window. One landed in a stocking. When the girls and their father woke up in the morning, they found the bags of gold and were overjoyed. The girls were saved from their sad fate. Other versions of this story say that St. Nicholas threw the three bags of gold directly into the stockings, which were hung by the fireplace to dry. So honestly, that is kind of similar to the whole... Santa Claus is coming to town story of like the kids need something and he's like bypassing the parents and wouldn't you know it their socks are hung by the fire to dry so I'm gonna put stuff in them I prefer the cartoon (laughs) but anyways I have one topic left for you guys today and I saved it for the end because I thought it would have a more modern and interesting story and one that no one's really thought to ask why do we wear ugly Christmas sweaters? The ugly sweater first became a household meme <laughs> in, ni- in the 1980s with the Cosby Show's Bill Huxtable leading the way. Chevy Chase's character in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation also added to the look. These well-known leading actors were playing decidedly unhip characters who had no fashion sense, and for some reason the idea of wearing awful sweaters as an ironic statement somehow caught on. So, that is pretty recent then basically like the 1980s and 90s it grew in popularity and then kind of took a hiatus until I would say recently people are really into the whole ugly sweater thing again but honestly most of the ugly sweaters are pretty cute they're just called ugly Christmas sweaters because honestly outside of Christmas you wouldn't wear them so I feel like they're definitely very seasonal but there you have it folks all of your favorite Christmas traditions explained Hopefully you'll have something fun and totally uncontroversial to talk about when you go see your family for your holiday celebrations. (laughs) These would actually be, like, for real uncontroversial. I know I said that, and it sounded like I was being ironic because everything I say comes off as sarcastic. Uh, I need to work on that. But anyways, thank you everyone so much for listening to the premiere episode of Merry Musings. And I'll see you next week for more holiday cheer and the last episode of season two.
airs at 6.30 on Wednesday nights on 106.1 FM in the Quad Cities area, but you can also find it on Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast was recorded at the studios of KALA-FM St. Ambrose University. Opinions expressed are not necessarily those of KALA Radio or St. Ambrose University.